Hello, everybody. This week is Pashas Vayishlach, and the topic is the halachas of Tznius in the workplace, and this is going to be two parts, this week and next week. The reason why I was inspired to talk about this was because this week's Pasha talks about how Dina, Yaakov's daughter, went out to observe the B'nai Sa'aretz, the women of the country, and as a result was kidnapped and tortured by Shechem. Chazal finds fault with the fact that she went out, this making her susceptible to attack. It was a breach in the sky-high, lofty level of tzniyus that Dina was kept and was expected to keep. And therefore, I want to discuss the topic of tzniyus. First, from a halachic perspective, understanding what halacha requires of us in the workplace and how to keep boundaries and the laws of Tznius, and then to un- try to understand a little bit about the story of Dina in the Parsha. At work, there are three main areas of halacha to be conscious of. One is Yichud. Two is Tznius, the obligation every person has to be modest. And three is the Isser of Kiruv Le'erva, meaning the prohibition against getting too close to people who are an erva to you, meaning someone you're prohibited to marry and live with, which uh, if you're a married woman is everyone, and a man just about everyone as well, uh, other than his wife. So the, anybody, basically <clears throat> anybody in the workplace who isn't your husband or, or wife uh, is, has, it falls under this category of the Isra of curable erva, means you can't get too close to, to strange people. So these are the three areas, Yuchud, Sneos, and Kiruv. And this week we'll talk about Yuchud and Sneos, and next week, Be'ez Hashem, we'll talk more about Kiruv. So the first issue, Yuchud, is definitely an extensive topic, which needs its own dedicated share, and we have addressed this topic in the past. But regarding the workplace, I just wanted to bring a couple of things to everyone's attention. Number one, if a woman... Uh, or a man for that matter, but well, if a woman works late at her job and most people leave until she is left alone with a few men, or the same thing with a man if he's left alone with, with women, so that's a yichud problem. And it doesn't help to leave the office door open or even, let's say, your company has a whole floor and you leave the door to the floor open. If the building can't be entered, unless you have a key or a key card, and the building is mostly vacant. So the Yuchud issue can encompass the whole building. And if you're the only, basically the only people left in the building, yourself, a woman, together with some men, that is a problem. Unless the office that you're in can be accessed by people from the streets, there is no heter of Pesach Pesuach leaving a door open. And unless it's normal for people to pop into your office, you can't rely on the fact that some people have access whenever they want. So in other words, yes, let's say you would want to think that your office is locked, the building is locked, but many people have the key and it could come anytime. So that's true. But if you know that this is not a time that people come, then that doesn't help. That hatcher doesn't help. And it's not open to the Rosh Hashanah, so it's not like uh, anybody from the street has access. And the people that have a key, you know, are home. They're not coming. So then none of those heterim work. So if a person is stuck at work and there are even three men there, but they're not Jewish, 
or not religious, it's a serious problem. So if you're aware of the issue in advance, usually it's much easier to deal with, and there are ways to try to circumvent the problem. Not always. It's a very difficult problem. I'll say that. But sometimes there's ways you can work out something in advance to make it work. But uh, if you just suddenly realize that you're alone, it's very hard to come up with a solution that works, and you have to leave. You have to leave. In other words, you know, if you call, a person calls and has a yichud shayla while they're in the situation of yichud, the first instruction would be leave the building, and then we'll see if there's any hatter. But that's that's the obligation. It's an issue every moment a person is in a situation of yichud, and it's it's very difficult to come up with a hatter in that situation. There is very very little hatter. The next point to be aware of <clears throat> is if a person works in an environment where a closed door means a closed door. For example, a therapist or a doctor, and when they close the door, no one opens it. And in the case of therapy, usually no one will disturb either. So it can really create a yichud issue. And yichud, it's important to understand, is between any man and any woman, even if the, one of them is very old, uh, not mentally well, physically not really capable, it still applies. So here, too, if this is something which comes up, it needs to be addressed and dealt with in a way that works holistically. So people whose business is that they are therapists, uh, you need to work out something, figure out a way to make it work. Uh, in, in, you know, either there's different options. You know, uh, it's really case-by-case basis. Some options work for some people. Other options work for others. But it's important to, to make sure that it is, in a, is done in a way where you could design an ISRA. In a doctor's office, we've talked in the past, a person goes to a doctor's office, so it's rare that a doctor will close the door, a man doctor will close the door on himself and a woman alone without either having a nurse in the room or having a nurse, you know, have access to the room. So, and and, and as a rule, uh, a nurse can knock and she will be let in at any point because that will look very suspicious. So in a typical doctor office situation, it's usually not a problem. But again, therapists and so on and so forth, it can be complicated. And as a rule, it's always a bad idea to allow a door to be closed on yourself, a woman and another man, and the same thing for a man to allow himself to be in, alone in the room with a woman. Even if there are some heterim present, it's not good for a number of reasons, obvious ones, and for you know uh, different possible problems that can arise, and with some foresight, these situations can be manipulated so that they don't happen. Another thing to be conscious of is the fact that once you have a male coworker or boss whom you get comfortable with, and when I say comfortable, I, I mean even if you do keep a kosher distance and you keep all the halachas, but you work together, so you have a certain level of comfort as a result of that. And the same thing goes for a man who has a woman that they, she, he, he works with, uh, that they're comfortable with. So it makes a lot of the typical heterim unusable. For example, a married woman typically has the heter of Baha'u'llah Be'ir, if her husband is in the city, that takes care of almost all problems of yichud. But if the person she's being alone with is someone she's comfortable with, which is referred to in halacha as liba yaspa, someone you're comfortable with, a co-worker and a boss fall into this category, this heter doesn't apply. So that makes things a lot more difficult. So those are things to keep in mind when yichud can come up in the workplace. Moving on to tznius, obviously whatever laws of tznius exist all over exist within the work, workplace as well. So all forms of modest stress certainly must always be kept. 
but it is especially important in the workplace where a person finds themselves among non-Jews who can be much less inhibited and forthcoming. And the idea is to avoid dressing in a way that will attract unwanted attention. And this includes every aspect of dress, makeup and perfume as well. If they're applied in a way that generates attention, it's stepping outside the protective wall of Tzniyas. It's prohibited for a man you know, from man, a Jew, to consciously smell another woman's perfume, and it's not theistic to create that situation. The mitzvah of being tenua really applies to every aspect of our life, both men and women, and it extends to what a person is willing to share on social media as well. It does measure within our culture what is acceptable and what is not, but it doesn't measure by the culture of non-Jews, for Dina, merely stepping outside to tour the city of Shechem was a breach in her sneers because, you know, she had a tremendously high level. And for us, there are different levels. And every person has a sensitivity to these things. And most of us, we know when we're pushing the limits. And that's where there's an assign, to do or not to do. When working around non-Jews who don't uh, understand or appreciate the concept of sneers, or how an Orthodox woman conducts herself, it can be challenging to keep up Gedarim, but it's a tremendous mitzvah, which ushers in great Kedusha and Shemira along with it, as we'll talk in a moment. And next week, Mitzvah Hashem, we'll discuss the last area of halacha in the workplace, which is the obligation to keep a distance from Arias, the people that were prohibited to marry. Moving on to the parasha, and the story of Dina. So the parasha tells us, Dina went out to see the women of the land. So why, why does she go out? Well, what does she want to see? In Pirkei Drebelazer, it says that there was a carnival. A whole carnival going on right outside her tent with people playing music and the women were dancing and laughing and she, it seems, was intrigued. The Medrash says that this wasn't by chance. Actually, Shechem was aware of Dina's presence, and he wanted to lure her outside. He arranged this carnival to take place and thereby capture Dina. And what a terrible fate befell her. She ventured out, which Chazal hold against her. It was a digression from her heavenly and holy level of Tzniyas and Kedusha, which was Kedush Kedusha, the only daughter of Yaakov Avinu. And that tiny digression had such severe ramifications. She was kidnapped, tortured, forced to marry Shechem, and when she was finally freed, it isn't clear if she ever got married again. And ultimately, her, her daughter from Shechem was Asnas, who married Yosef and had Benasha and Ephraim, the two last Shevatim. So she had a chilek in the Shevatim after all. And there's definitely a lot hidden in what happened to her. And in the Zayar, it seems to correlate her with Esther Hamalka, who was forced to marry Achashverish, and there's much to talk about what was going on, so to speak, behind the scene. Well, an, an interesting thing here is mentioned by the Sasemes, that Chazal brought by Rashi say that this happened to Yaakov Avinu because he hid Dina in a box when he went to meet Esav to ensure that Esav doesn't marry Dina. And that was held against him. Why are you hiding Dina in a box, keeping her away from your brother Esav? who she could have had a very positive effect on, and therefore she's going to marry someone even worse. That's what Chazal say. And there's 
whole shiurim said on that alone, how could this possibly be a demand on Yaakov? Was he supposed to want Esav as a son-in-law? But putting that aside for a minute, the Sathemis deduces an amazing, amazing thing from here. He says, if Dina was intended for Esav by Hashem, apparently she had an awesome power of Kirav Rechaikim. She could have made Esav into a Balchuva, something his mother, Rivka, one of the Imahis and Yitzchak, one of the others, weren't so successful in doing. And the Sathemis says that's why she went out, to bring Tyre and Kedusha to the women of the land. But even though her intention was so holy and so justified, the breach in Sneas wasn't justified. And what the Pasuk is demonstrating to us, says Rav Simchazisal, the altar of Kelm, in a letter that he writes to his son, that from a tiny little Tumah venturing out can come tremendous Tumah, marrying a guy. And the opposite is true as well. From a tiny bit of Kedusha, and he writes this, from a tiny bit of Kedusha, or effort that we put in to keep Sneas, comes a tremendous amount of Kedusha. And that's what the Pasuk is teaching us as the altar. Now this can be understood on a deeper level as well. And this is really beautiful, and it, it comes to the core of what Sneas is all about. There's another Chazal, quoted by the Sassamis as well, that says that Yaakov Avinu was punished because there's a Pasuk right before that says Yaakov Avinu built a Mizbeach. Vayatev Shem Mizbeach, Vayikroloi Kael. Yaakov Avinu built a Mizbeach and called something Kel. Now, that's a little strange passage. Is he calling the Mizbeach Hashem's name? Unlikely, right? So, Chazal say, you know who he was calling Kel? Who was calling a god? He was calling himself a god. And he said, you, Hashem, are the god above in heaven, and I am a god here on earth. Now, what that means is, obviously, he's not being a bit of a desire, it meant, that Yaakov was saying he had now attained a level of perfection to the point that he was a true representative of Hashem on this world. If you looked at Yaakov Avinu's face, you saw a clear representation of the Shekhinah, of Hashem's presence on this world. And truly, Yaakov Avinu's face is carved on the Kisya Kavit of Hashem because he is the true representative of Hashem in human form. He was the most perfect. He had the combination of all the others within himself. And that's what he meant to say. But yet Hashem had a complaint against this. He's saying, how can a person take such a title upon himself? And meaning to say, how could he be so assured of himself to take such a title on himself? And therefore he suffers the humiliation of Dina. That's what Chazal say. Now Rav Shach Zatal asks that Rashi brings the exact opposite medrash. That it wasn't Yaakov calling himself Kale, a god on this world, Hashem called him a god on this world. The same Pasik, Vaikra like Kale, two different Midrashim. One says Yaakov called himself that, and the other says Hashem called him that. Now, if Hashem called him that, so then, then it was justified, right? So why can't Yaakov call himself that? How do we reconcile these two Midrashim? Rashach says this is the crux of a human struggle on this world, and truly the struggle of Tzmias. On one hand, Hashem tells us, you're you are representatives of Hashem on this world. You are miniature representations of me. We're godly, which means we have tremendous potential and every act we take is laden with an awesome Kedusha. We can bring Hashem's presence everywhere. And on the other hand, we have to be cognizant of, the, of that Kedusha and give it tremendous protection because we have to realize we're human 
and we're subject to error, failure, temptation, mistake. And this was in essence, and is in essence, the challenge of Tzniyas, and what was being demonstrated to Yaakov Avinu when Dina suffered this terrible fate. On one hand, we have such, such tremendous Kedusha, to the point where you can truly call yourself Kael, because Hashem calls you Kael. Hashem says, realize who you are, realize how holy you are, and how much Kedusha there is in every act that you do. And at the same time, Hashem then has a taina, realize if you have so much Kedusha, you have to protect that with the utmost protection, and you can never be assured, you can never be convinced that you're unfallable, infallible, and, and uh, not not susceptible to the different temptations that are out there. A person has to make a shmira upon shmira, one guard uh, guardrail after another guardrail after another guardrail to keep themselves as far as possible from affecting and from diminishing and from defiling that kedusha, because it's so holy, because it's so powerful, because it's so tremendous. And that's exactly what was happening in Dina. Dina was so tremendously holy, and she has such a high level of tzniyus that the tiniest, tiniest breach was also the greatest complaint against her, that you have so much Kedusha, how could you not be so, so, so tremendously careful with it? How could you not watch it with all your might and power? How could you be so self-assured to know that you'll be protected, that you'll be safe? And that was what Hashem was demonstrating to Yaakov Avinu. Yes, you have to realize that you're a kale, but at the same time, we also have to realize that we're not a kale. We also have to realize we're human, and we have to protect that Kedusha with the greatest amount of effort that we can possibly exert because we have so much potential to create so much Kedusha, to create so much Hashra Sashkina in this world. Have a good night and a good Shabbos.